Hey, thanks for joining us for our teaching time this morning as we continue our series called Freshly Squeezed as we're looking at how both to experience certain things in our faith and express those, share those out with others. And we're doing this by journeying through the book of 2 Corinthians, a book the Apostle Paul wrote uh, to a church, really showing them how to, in day-to-day life and experiences they're going to have, how to let the faith flow through them, how to live it out in such a way that it's not uh, just a label they wear or a tool they use to defeat other people, uh, but something that brings real life into them. And, and, and isn't that the beauty of something that's freshly squeezed, like you know, lemons or lime juice, or when you think about fruit that's freshly squeezed, that it's just, it's life-giving, right? I mean, you taste it and you, you're experiencing the life that it brought to it and it's bringing life into you. And that's what people of faith ought to be like. When people encounter us, it's not that we look at them as somebody to convert and change and uh, conquer, or that when they encounter us, that we seem so odd and so different, so detached from the world that there's no connection. Instead, when when we interact with people as people of faith, it should be this life-giving experience for them and for us, that the tools God has given us to walk through this life with are, are actually helping them moving their life forward as well. And that's what Paul is teaching here in 2 Corinthians, uh, and we're going to be verse uh, chapter 7 today is where we're going to be focusing, and uh, the concept we're going to be focusing around is a, a word we've all heard a number of times, and Paul writes about it very often, this concept, uh, but he's going to use chapter 7 a little differently today, and it's this idea of joy, joy. Right now, when we often teach on joy, we often talk about how to maintain joy through difficult circumstances, right? So the loss of a loved one, a difficult situation comes into your life, the loss of a job or financial strain or just sickness that comes in, like keep joy out there. You know, Paul writes in other areas about how to maintain joy when you're, you know, like he was in prison. He had been arrested, beaten. And he's like, I still have my joy. And that is a great uh, way to experience joy. But but Paul teaches about joy today in chapter 7 a little differently. And it's not just to maintain your joy through trials and tribulations. But today, Paul is going to use joy as a tool. A tool to be used in relationships. When relationships kind of go south. When strife and grief come into relationships. Now, before we jump into the teaching, I want you to think for a minute. And for some of us, uh, and some of you, it's it won't take long to think about this. But think about a current or a past, a, a recent past relationship that seemed to be going okay and then just took a left turn. I'm not talking about people that you seem to have disagreements with that you're not really connected with or... Somebody, you know, you're friends with on Facebook you haven't seen in years and you don't like what they post and it just gets you angry and you unfollow them. I'm not, those aren't the things I'm talking about. Or even, even somebody that's like in the public arena that you seem to argue with on the TV or when you read something that they say and you're, you know, they they don't ever hear your voices. Like you're angry. That, that's not a relationship, right? What I'm talking about is a relationship where there is give and take already. 
where there is an intertwining of lives, uh, where I need them in my life and, and they need me in their life. It's mutually beneficial. And I've been doing life with this person. And for some reason, it takes a hard left turn. It goes south. Things turn bad. And it probably doesn't take us long to think about a relationship that's done that. And we then start thinking about why and, and either the hurt that they brought into my life or, or maybe the hurt I brought into their life. And regret starts to kick in and, and anger maybe and bitterness and, and just a, an unsettledness in your life. And, and I want you to even think, maybe you're thinking about this. Do you see what's kind of draining out of our lives? It's, it's joy, right? Like joy, joy is, we kind of set that on the back burner and we start trying to figure out again, maybe even right now, as you're thinking about this relationship, you're starting to think about how do I get even with this person? How do I, are the anger and bitterness starts to swell up again. And, and this is exactly where Paul finds himself as he's writing this letter to the Corinthians. Again, just a background on this. We've talked about it some, but, but Paul, this is actually the third letter that Paul had written to this church that we know about. Paul, Paul is angry and upset with this group of believers. More specifically, he was really angry with a group within the church there that had been leading them away from his teachings. And, and Paul wasn't upset because he was like, you're, you're leading away from what I taught you. He, they were leading them away from Christ, from grace, from believing that, that the grace of Christ was sufficient for them. And they were leading them back into bondage and, and really religious slavery. And Paul was angry at those that were leading that but he was also angry at those, and he's, he's like, I'm, I'm just disappointed that you so easily abandoned the teachings, abandoned the things that had set you free. I'm, I'm angry that we, when we met, I came together and I loosed you from the chains of religion and sin and shame, and we were walking in freedom and grace, and one person disagreed with you, or, or one corrupt person started leading you down a wrong path, and you went back to your own chains and your own jail cell. And Paul had written one letter to them, 1 Corinthians, kind of pushing back on this. And it didn't work. Like things actually probably got worse. And so he sent a second, more intense, angry letter that we don't have a copy of. He references it here, references other times, but a letter that was very from all in, all we understand that was written, very angry letter. And, and that seemed to get their attention. And now he's writing this letter as a follow-up to deal with the strife and the grief that this conflict created. All right, so they were walking down a pathway. Things were good. Their lives were intertwined. They needed each other. They were step and step together. And then one party took a left turn and the relationship went south. Paul's been trying to bring reconciliation and finally they're at the table together. And Paul in chapter seven here is gonna hope we're about to turn a corner and he's like, let's, let's move forward from this. And he does this in verse four by using an amazing tool and it's that tool of joy. Listen to what it says. Here in verse four, in all of our affliction, 
I am overflowing with joy. Now, he's not talking about affliction of being persecuted here, being put in jail. He is talking about the affliction and tension in their relationship. He's like, look, in all of this, right, in everything we're dealing with right now, I want you to know that as we have this conversation, as we sit down, I'm overflowing with joy. <laughs> that's, that's the tool I am bringing to this meeting. Not a, not another weapon. I'm bringing a tool and my tool is joy. Paul, Paul is saying, look, I, th this tension, strife, bitterness, when I think about what's going on between us, I'm overflowing with joy. Not, not that we're upset, but because I understand joy, if I can overflow with it and put more of it into the situation, it's what's going to bring healing. Not more angst, more anger, more bitterness, right? Now, now why is he doing this? And, he, and here's why, ultimately why, because what Paul wants is not just resolution. I'm right, you're wrong. You're right, I'm wrong. That's not what he wants. He wants resolution to bring good to all that are involved. He, he wants that when we took that left turn, he wants to get back here, right? He wants to get back to where things were and even not just where things were, better than they were. And so he's not looking for a win-lose situation or a lose-lose situation, but win-win, the joyous outcome for all. And he is modeling this for them and how he's gonna walk through this grief of a relationship, this grief he's experiencing. Now, this is huge. This is different. This is not just counter-cultural to their time, right? This is counter-human nature, counter our natural instincts. This is a new way of contending with and confronting one another. If I'm going to have a tough conversation with you, it's because I want us both to be better on the other end, not just to defeat you and elevate me or to come and admit that I've done wrong and, and be self-deprecating and feel like I'm worthless at the end of it. No, it's to bring joy to both parties at the end. Harmonious outcome. We talked about harmony a couple of weeks ago, right? But this is about using joy in a moment of strife and tension in a relationship as the primary tool of dealing with the disagreement. So today I want us to take this idea of being freshly squeezed, of, of experiencing joy and expressing joy, and talk about how we can use joy as a tool in two times in our life. When we are wronged, when somebody's done something to us, and when we have wronged others. Because we have to, it's a tool we both can use, and this is how it's squeezed out of our life. When, when we're experiencing and expressing it, it's when I'm wronged and when I've been wronged and it's this relationship together. Because the truth is, the idea of wrong and doing wrong and being wronged, all that stuff, the truth is we probably usually play some of both of those roles in every relationship. Even when the other person took a hard left turn, maybe there were some things that we need to still address in our life that, that, you know, amplified that or, you know, made it, made it even more impactful 
I'm not saying we caused it, that it, every problem is equal, but it's that we added maybe fuel to the fire. And so let's figure out how to use this. How do we use joy to bring healing? So let's first talk about how to use joy when we have been wrong. We're going to look at a few verses here out of 2 Corinthians 7. It's a lot in the chapter. And again, the way we do this, we don't look at the entire chapter. Just grab a few verses and encourage you to read the entirety of the chapter. But this is verses 2 through 4 that deal with how to use joy when you have been wrong. Let's read it together. Verse 2. Make room in your heart for us. We have wronged no one. We have corrupted no one. We have taken advantage of no one. I do not say this to condemn you. For I said before that you are in our hearts to die together and to live together. I am acting with great boldness towards you. I have great pride in you. I am filled with comfort. In all our affliction, I am overflowing with joy. So I think he's makes three points here about how to use joy and how he's going to use joy in dealing with this. And so the, the first way I think joy is used as a tool to bring healing when we have been wronged is this. Joy keeps the door open, right? He's like, make room in your hearts for us. I have made room in my heart for you. He, he says, look, I, I'm keeping the door open. This pain, this left turn that happened, this very destructive behavior, this thing that I can't understand why you did it. I'm going to, Joy says, I'm going to keep the door open. I'm going to keep the conversation going. I desire reconciliation. That is what making room in your heart for the other person does, is giving them the ability to be forgiven and restored. Joy keeps the door open. Make room in your heart for us as I'm making room in your heart, in my heart for you. But the second thing he says is I, I'm not saying that stuff like, because he was pretty clear, like I, we didn't teach you wrong. I haven't, we didn't corrupt what we said. So he's like, but I'm not saying all this to condemn you. So here's the other thing that joy does to bring healing when we've been wronged is joy keeps away what I call the weapons of mass destruction in a relationship, right? We don't start to condemn the other person. We just don't, we don't start using words, having thoughts and acting out on things that are way we are trying to condemn and bring condemnation into somebody's life, bring harm into life, start believing the absolute worst about them, losing hope for any opportunity that they would one day come back and, and seek restoration and forgiveness. And so there, there's words I don't say. There's statements that won't I won't allow to take root in my mind because joy keeps me from doing these weapons of mass destruction that just destroy everything. I'm not out to do this. I don't say this to condemn you. But then third, he says in verse four, he says, I have great pride in you and I am filled with comfort. And, and the third thing joy does when, when we need to bring healing, when we've been wronged, is joy keeps our perspective positive. Keeps it positive of what could be. I Maybe it's not happening yet. Maybe I, I'm not even seeing any movement toward reconciliation, but I, I have great pride and I'm filled with comfort. I, I 
due desire. And I've seen in you in the past why our lives were actually intertwined together to, to begin with. And we've got to work through some things, yes. But I'm the joy keeps my perspective positive. Think about how we often react to pain in relationships when we've been wronged, right? We want to fight back. We start to see them as the enemy and we launch a grenade in their lives and close the door, hoping that it does as much damage as possible. And we just keep repeating that pattern, right? We open the door, throw in a grenade of destruction and close it and hope that it ne- makes a negative impact on them. And they'll do it back to us and back to us. And it's, this is where our minds maybe went to when we started with, right? This person hurt me and then I did this to hurt them and now this and this. And it's just this pain up pattern of destruction. Paul says, no, this isn't how we do it. In the faith, this isn't how we do it. This has to stop. And I'm going to actually model it for you, he says. We have a choice right now. He's basically saying, and and this is true in our lives when we have this kind of conflict. We have a choice to create enemies, to go from being friends to enemies, companions to now competitors, right? Or We can work through this and deepen our alliances to one another, deepen our connection with one another. And Paul says, I'm going to choose joy as my weapon in this struggle, because ultimately what I want is for both of us to win, both of us to move forward. So that's how we use joy when we've been wrong. Right, that's what he lays out in verses two through four. This idea of, you know what, I'm going to make room in my heart for for you. You make room in your heart. Keep the door open. I'm not trying to condemn you. I'm not going to use weapons of mass destruction in our relationship. And I'm going to do everything I can to remember the pride and the reason our lives were intertwined. I'm going to keep a positive perspective. Now, it may not mean that the relationship will be what it was. I understand that. But just because it wasn't what it was doesn't mean it still can't be a win for both people, for both parties. Which then brings us, how do we get to there? Because then joy can also be used to bring healing when I have wronged others. Paul goes through a few verses and in verse 10 of chapter 7, he starts talking about this. About what he's seen in the Corinthian church as they have begun to work through this. What he's heard from others. And he basically is, he's like, you are doing well. You are taking joy as well. And here's how he sees it. So let's look at verse uh, 10 and 11, and it'll show us how we use joy when we've wronged others. It says this, for godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief produces death. For see what earnestness this godly grief has produced in you. But also what eagerness to clear yourselves, what indignation, what fear, what longing, what zeal, what punishment. At every point, you have improved yourselves innocent in the matter. And you catch how that ended. Paul said, as you've worked through all this, you've proved yourself innocent in the matter. You've moved back toward, you've restored. And innocence doesn't mean that I never did anything. Innocence here, the word idea is it moves back to, to integrity, to clear, to clean. You have proved yourself that you have worked through this and you're now on the other side of it. And how did they do that? When you have 
wronged somebody? Uh, how does joy, how can you use joy as a tool to bring healing? I think he lays out a few things here as well. And the first thing joy does, he says that it produces repentance that leads to salvation, right? This godly grief and, and this idea of using joy, it does this. Joy keeps our hearts honest, honest. Do you know the hardest person to be honest with about your shortcomings and your failures is yourself? Like, I am the best at excusing my own behavior. My own shortcomings, the things I do to bring pain into other, life, other people's lives, I, I can excuse that very quickly. I can, you know, either say it's just something I am or, you know, they're taking it more seriously than they need to or, you know, they shouldn't have been hurt by something like that. I, I can use all kinds of tactics to make excuses. But joy, understanding that I want a win for them and a win for me, allows me to keep my heart honest with myself and with others and admit, repent. That's what repentance is. Like it's an admission and a turning. I, I did wrong. I'm sorry. I, I hurt you. I brought pain into your life. I made a mistake and a mistake that cost you dearly. Right? I, I don't try to minimize it. I don't try to act like it didn't happen. I deal with it and we deal with it. And joy as a tool keeps our hearts honest. Because we realize that if we try to hide our brokenness, hide our sin, it that's the opposite of joy. Right? That just creates more strife and enmity. And so joy keeps our heart honest. The second thing he says here is that, you know, this godly repentance leads to salvation, but it leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief produces death. And so the, the second thing that when we use joy as a tool to bring healing, when we have wronged others, that we can realize is this. Joy keeps us from self-destruction. That's uh, in many of our lives, we that just like the toughest person to be honest with ourselves, often the toughest person to forgive is ourselves. When we look and we see the pain we brought into other people's lives and our choices, our intentional choices did to somebody, we just want to beat ourselves up. We want to destroy ourselves. We lose hope in who we are. We look at ourselves in the mirror and see nothing but failure and pain for other people and we see no hope, no reason to be of value in anybody's life and we isolate and we become an irritant to ourselves and nothing can be done right at this point. Paul says, no, that's not what joy does because true, if you keep joy in mind, wanting good for you and for them, even when you brought the pain, using joy as a tool means you still want good for you, it allows us not to be self-destructive because this godly type of joy that brings repentance, it brings it without regret. It brings salvation without regret. I, I can be sorrowful, but I don't have to live with regret. And he said, because this, if you do it just as the world does it, it'll lead to death. And so using joy as a tool of healing keeps us from self-destruction. But the third thing it does here, he says, 
See what godly grief has produced in you. And he gives us a list of all these things. And so he's talking about that, that when you do this the right way, when you keep joy as the primary tool, joy keeps us learning and growing. Right? If it keeps us away from self-destruction, it, not, it doesn't just keep us where we are. It keeps us now learning and growing, moving forward. Joy becomes a tool of learning and growing. And I don't know about you, but I, that's a beautiful picture for me. When I look at times I've wronged others, that I brought pain in people's lives. I, if I could walk, once I realized that, if I knew that I can be honest, I don't have to destroy myself, and this can be a learning and growing opportunity, it gives me freedom to walk into these difficult challenges. Think about how we often react when we bring pain into people's lives. We get defensive. We try to make it not sound as bad as it was. And we aren't honest with ourselves or with others, which just prolongs and reinforces the problem. And then we beat ourselves up for the mistakes and we, that we keep ma making and we go down a path of self-doubt and despair. Paul says, no, no. This has to stop. For those of us in the faith, this isn't how we operate, even when we've wronged people. You have to want joy for yourself and for others. We can either become better or we're going to become bitter and more brittle. Or we just keep breaking more and more. So this is how we use joy in those two situations, as a tool of healing. When we've been wronged and when we've done the wrong. So let's personalize this a little bit because those are great concepts and good kind of frameworks to work by. But how does that actually happen? And in verse 12, Paul even talks about this of like, all right, we're, we're talking about a specific example right now, but you got to internalize this. You got to make it personal. And, and here's what he said in verse 12. He says, so although I wrote to you, it was not for the sake of the one who did the wrong, nor for the sake of the one who was suffering the wrong, but in order that your earnestness for us might be revealed to you in the sight of God. So what he's saying is, look, I, I know we've had issues, and I didn't write this just to get clarity on this one issue, to, to make it better for the one who did the wrong, for the sake of the one who did the wrong, or for the sake of the one who suffered the wrong, right? We want to do that. We're going to live by that. But ultimately... We need to develop an earnestness of how we live this out in the sight of God. That it's part of who we are. Joy isn't just a tool for one side to use or the other, is what he's saying here. As believers, we have to, when we come into conflict, right, when it, when it hits, we have to, the first thing we reach for is not the defensive things or the offensive weapons. It is the reconciliation weapon a tool of joy. joy. Joy is like one of those two-handed saws that they use to cut down those big trees, right? You can't do it by yourself. It takes give and take. It takes both hands, both people working at it to accomplish a task quicker and better than one person could do it by themselves. So how do we do this? Let's talk personally. Whether you're on the side of being wronged or wronged, how do we, what are these forward-thinking thoughts that can be in our life. And the first one is this. Use joy as a tool to battle your own pride. Use toy as a, joy as a tool to battle your own pride. 
and to battle this desire of wanting to be right or wanting to be rewarded. You shouldn't desire vindication, but peace and prosperity for both of you. Remember, we, we're talking about relationships where we were intertwined, not, not relationships where we already feel distant or we've never really connected to anybody or it's somebody we, we don't even know it's a distant figure. These are for relationships where, where we were together and something moved us in a crazy direction. I don't need vindication. I need peace. And I want prosperity for both. I want us both to be better on the other end. So let joy and wanting joy for the other person battle your pride to this need to be right and be vindicated and be rewarded for, you know, I told you so, you know, and holding it over the other person. Second thing, the way that we can make this earnestly true in our life is to you joy as a lens to view the other person. So envision how the relationship could be instead of how it is. Remember who they have been and even who they could be more than just how you're viewing them in this moment of disruption and disunity. Right? Let joy be the lens that you see the other person through. Again, if our lives were so entwined with somebody, there are going to be some beautiful moments we can look back on. Sometimes a great joy for both. And this joy lens helps us to remember, I want that again. I want that for both of us. And again, it may be different. It may not be exactly what it was, but let's both come out. I, I want to see the person as God sees them. I want to see the person in the best light rather than the worst light. Which brings us to the final thing is to use joy as a bond of commonality. As a bond of commonality instead of seeing all the differences we connect with each other. Even in times of conflict, right? Let joy be that thing that bonds our hearts together so deeply that we're willing to walk through difficult conversations and difficult challenges and remember why even in the first place our lives were intertwined together. I remember growing up, my brother and I would often get into arguments of stupid things. You know, I, whose toy was who? I don't even remember. I remember we argued. I, had, I honestly can't remember what we usually argued about. But when, when mom would get sick of it, she had had enough, she would be like, all right, you two come here. And she was like, I don't care what you're arguing about. I don't, I don't want to hear it anymore. I'm not here listening to sides. Uh, you know, I'm, it's, we're not soft. All I want you right now is I want you to hug each other. Just hug each other and tell each other that you love each other. And it was like, we both would be like, no, because I, she's like, I don't care. I don't care. Just hug each other and tell each other that you love each other. And we would, we would, we would do that. And we'd say, I love you, love you. And it was in that moment I'm not saying it solved every issue, but in that moment, it reminded us that I actually do love this person. I'm part of a family. They're part of my family. Our lives are intertwined together. And as angry as I was in that moment a second ago, you know what? I do love this person. I remember one time we wouldn't, as we were getting older, we were like, no, I'm not going to do that. It's stupid. It's, you know, and she's like, all right. She called dad and she got dad to bring down one of his big t-shirts and she made both of us get inside this t-shirt and be together 
face to face, close to close, as much as we could for, I don't know, felt like hours. It was probably 10 minutes, right? But it was like, she was using this as a reminder. like, there is something bigger than both of you. And it's this family. It's who we are. And it's who we have right now. And I think, as I think about that, that's a beautiful reminder of what joy reminds us of. And when we use the tool of joy, is there something bigger than us? There's something bigger than our problems. There's something bigger than the pain we're even experiencing right now. There's something bigger than my hurt. There's something bigger than this argument. There's something bigger than me wanting to win. And the bigger thing is the idea that we are part of the family of God together. We're people of faith. We're faith family. Our lives are intertwined together. We don't get to just walk away. We don't get to let anger overwhelm us. And I know there are pains, there are heartaches, there are things that feel unforgivable and there are, there are times where it is good to, to not be so intertwined together to allow parties to heal. But I wanna challenge you, even in those moments, even when you are separated, to want joy both for you and them. Even if full restoration of the relationship doesn't happen, we can still experience joy as we walk through this pain in the broader family of God. So my question for you today is this, where do you need to pull out the tool of joy in your life today? What relationship do you need to look at that you have either wronged someone or been wronged yourself? And you need to start using the tool of joy to bring healing. You've been opening doors and throwing grenades in and you've been destroying your own self and, and having self-doubt and despair creep in in your life. You've been using a lot of the bad weapons, the weapons of mass destruction. And I want to challenge you today to start to use the tool of joy. Maybe you've hidden it away. Maybe you've forgotten where it is. Maybe you've even forgotten how to use it. You look in a toolbox and you see some tool in there and you don't even know what it is and what it's supposed to do. But it's when you realize what it is and that it does one specific task and it does it better than anything else, that's what joy is in broken relationships. And men's hearts, when we can both get on that saw together and work together, it accomplishes great tasks and we'll use the tool that is designed Maybe you're listening today and you have never received this tool of joy from the Lord. You've never experienced it yourself fully. And for us to use this tool of joy in our own lives comes when we first are reconciled to God through this joy as well. Is that when we look at Him and we don't see Him as an enemy or something distant, we see Him as a somebody who's desires and has wanted to desire to intertwine our lives together and to grow together. And when we do, he gives us beautiful tools like joy to use in our life. If you need to talk about anything going on in your life, if you need to talk about how to experience the joy of Christ for the very first time, I would love to engage with you in that conversation. My email's on the screen and I'd be happy to 
uh, set up a time to talk in person or, or online about what's going on in your life. Or maybe there's a pain you're dealing with and you need to talk to somebody about that, about how to pick up this tool of joy. Reach out to me and I'm happy to talk or connect you with others who can walk and talk that through with you. One of the ways that we talk about it right now is to do so in groups. We have uh, groups that meet via Zoom during the week, but we also have one that meets right now on Sundays if you're watching the Facebook Live feed. Uh, as soon as we're done here in just a minute, uh, you can click on the link that's in the comments right now, and it'll take you to a Zoom group. And for about 45 minutes, we talk through what we just heard and experienced uh, as we looked at God's Word. And so I would encourage you uh, to do that and join in. You can also, if you don't see it in the Facebook comments, you can go to new-citychurch.com slash Zoom, and it'll put you into our, uh, click on the link to join the group on the site there. So thanks for joining us today. Thanks for being with us. And I really do pray this week that we would pick up the tool of joy in wherever relationship conflict comes into our life. Let me pray for us and we'll be done for the day. God, thank you for not leaving us alone in our darkest moments. That when relationships that are dear to us go south or go sideways and pain comes or we bring pain in, God, you don't look at us with disdain and anger and say, look at the mess you've got yourself into. Instead, you give us every tool we need to walk through these times. So, to not just walk through and win us for us, but to walk through and bring joy and a win God, help us to be your instruments of joy, to experience it and to express it out to others as we walk through life this week. For we ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Hope you have a great week. See you online on our group or we'll see you next week.